0: This message was recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. I was introduced at the beginning of the meeting, but it wasn't enough. It didn't feel enough. (laughs) Bill, could you come up and... (laughs) Sorry. Uh, I just found out I have 40 minutes. This is like an hour and a half message. So, okay, 40 minutes. Well, I'm not going to miss this part. Philippians 1 three through six, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When I think of Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, my soul gets really happy. And when I'm here, it's even happier. This is Probably my second favorite church to be in. My first church being Sovereign Grace Church of Louisville. I am grateful for the friendships I have with the pastors of this church and their families. Some for close to 30 years. Every time I'm here, I'm reminded once again of the joy and faithfulness that the gospel produces in people. Whether, I, whether you've been here 25 years or one year. I, I ask everyone I meet, almost everyone, how long have you been here? And, you know, I've heard one year, two years, five years, 25 years, almost 30 years. And you know what I've seen? In every person, the joy in the gospel and the joy of serving is the same. That's the sign of a healthy church where the people who have been around a long time are serving with just as much joy and zeal as the person who's just been here a year. And that the people who have just been a year are already getting it. You're already seeing, no, this is a place where we are so grateful for what Jesus has done for us that we can't help but serve others with joy. I'm struck by the generosity of this church. Not only do I, every time I'm here, I leave with something. And my wife, Julie, is here with me. I'm so grateful for that. Um, we, We leave with something every time we come here. And, it's, it's not only that, you've, you've sown into the kingdom by sending families to the pastor's college and families to, out to plant churches and just God's generosity abounds in you, the grace of generosity. So when I think of you or pray for you, and I may not even know your names, but I think of you and pray for you with joy. And whatever remains to be done through Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, and I believe a great deal Uh, the the Lord is planning to do through this church, I know he's going to complete it. So I am overjoyed to be here with you. If you'd open your Bibles to Psalm 96. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Let the joyous news be spread. The wicked old witch at last is dead. You might know those lines, those might be familiar to you. You probably didn't expect that to be my introduction. (laughs) These are the immortal words of Glinda, the good witch of the North and the Wizard of Oz, spoken after Dorothy's house from Kansas fell on and killed the wicked witch of the East. And Gilda's pronouncement was followed by a rousing anthem. You might remember it. Ding dong, the witch is dead. Which old witch? The wicked witch. Ding dong, the wicked witch is dead. Wake up, you sleepy head. Rub your eyes, get out of bed. Wake up, the wicked witch is dead. She's gone. Now, this part I didn't know. She's gone where the goblins go. Below, below, below. Yo ho, let's open up and sing and ring the bells out. Ding dong, the wicked witch. Oh, no, the Mario, sing it high, sing it low. Let them know the wicked witch is dead. It may not be the greatest song you've ever heard, but it reminds us of how often a victory, a a triumph, is accompanied with an outburst of song. And the psalm we're going to look at this morning, Psalm 96, is just such an outburst, written in response to a much more significant victory, and is an infinitely more significant song of celebration. And like the song in The Wizard of Oz, it's not the end of the story. Psalm 96 is a psalm that Christians throughout history have used on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, and it seems an appropriate text to consider in this season of Advent. Just a little context it falls right in the middle of seven what are called kingship psalms, Psalm 93 through 99, that encourage us to sing and celebrate and rejoice before the God who rules over all. There's a phrase, the Lord reigns, that's repeated in four of the Psalms. It's meant to make a point. The Lord reigns. Unlike many other Psalms, Psalm 96 doesn't focus primarily on our personal emotions and circumstances, which a lot of the Psalms do. It invites us. To consider and respond to that glorious reality I just mentioned. The Lord reigns. It was written or at least used when King David and the Israelites brought back the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem in 1 Chronicles 16. The Ark had been captured by the wicked witch Philistines. And David is finally bringing it home. And there's a celebration going on. Because the ark was the sign of God's presence among his people. And bringing it back to Jerusalem was a sign of God's favor. A sign that God's rule was established. It was a time for celebrating. So David probably spent months organizing hundreds of priests to sing, and to play instruments, just like we prepared for this morning. Well, this preparation went on for months to sing, play instruments, to offer sacrifices on the day the ark was returned. And as part of the celebration, 1 Chronicles said that David had the priest and the choir sing these words in Psalm 96. It's very similar to Psalm 95, the psalm before it, in that it summons us to worship the king, but it extends that worship beyond believers to the entire world. And as we read this psalm this morning, as I've meditated on it over and over, one thing is clear. Those who celebrate God's saving reign long for the day all creation will join in the song. The celebration of God's reign can't be limited to a group of Christians on Sunday mornings in a building. The news is too good, and our God is too great. The good news must be proclaimed and sung until the nations and all creation join in with God's people to sing with us, The Lord reigns! So let's hear what David wrote, Psalm 96. Are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering. Come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness And the peoples in his faithfulness. And if you like to title your message as you're taking notes, this is called The King is Coming. (laughs) We're going to look at the psalm in two sections. Each beginning with a threefold call to praise followed by reasons for that command. So here's the first call to praise, verses 1 through 3. As the psalm begins, we're told three times to what? Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Now, you don't have to be musically gifted to obey this psalm, Bill. You don't have to be an American Idol contestant or have a music degree. Our singing isn't dependent on the quality of our voices but on what God deserves. That's why this command is given. The psalm is about knowing a truth so magnificent, so life-changing, and so beautiful that we can't help but sing about it. And the psalm, it just shakes us out of our complacency. You can't read this and go, yeah, okay. Sing to the Lord. Bless His name tell of his salvation, declare his glory. All commands shakes us out of our comfort, our casualness, calls us to action. We can't hear this news about God's saving rain and respond with apathy. It's not allowed. That's not what this psalm is letting us do. That means for us as Christians, as we gather this morning, it's not right or honest or wise for us to be in the midst of a singing congregation with our mouths shut. God's saying, you can't do that. If you know what's happening, if you know what I'm saying here, you, you won't be able to do that. Now, of course, sometimes we don't know the song. You might have been singing this morning or trying to sing. You thought, Well, I don't really know this song. Doesn't make a difference. We're told to sing a new song. That's the command. Sing a new song. Now, in Scripture, a new song might be a song you've never heard or sung before, but it's usually a response to a new example of God's working or a new experience of God's working. So some of these carols we sang this morning, how many times have we sung them? I don't know, hundreds of times. But we can have a new experience of realizing what they're saying and be singing A new song. So it can be a new song, but it just as well can be an old song sung in a new way with a fresh understanding. So David was singing this song to celebrate the defeat of his enemies, the Jebusites, who had mocked the true God. They thought they were in charge and God said, no you're not. So the Israelites had experienced God's saving power in a fresh way And they responded with this song. It's what God's people always do when God delivers them. Think back when the Israelites were delivered from Egypt, from Pharaoh's armies. They walked through the Red Sea on dry land. The the Egyptian army came in and they, they, they were all drowned. And in Exodus 15, what do they do? They sing a new song. They celebrated God's saving acts again and again during their history, right up through the return from Babylon, and they sang more new songs. But you know what? All those events, as significant as they were, pointed to a greater deliverance. They anticipated that God would send a Messiah, which we've been singing about all morning. And he did, he sent his son to deliver us not only from armies and rulers who threaten death, but to deliver us from death itself. And we will be singing that new song forever. We're told in Revelations 5, verse 9, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain, not us. You were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and language and people and nation. And we're told they sang a new song. So, after David exhorts us to sing, he tells us why. Verses four through six the first reason to praise the Lord God is the majestic creator. David focuses up both on who God is, majestic, strong, and beautiful, and what he's done. He says, Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Israel was surrounded by nations who worshipped other gods than the God who had revealed himself to Israel, to Moses, as the great I Am. They had names, Ashtoreth, Baal, Chemosh, Dagon. And they believed that these gods were worthy of their trust. So they loved and served and obeyed them. But you know what? God is not threatened by idols. He, he mocks them. He consistently mocks the claims they make to godness. The prophet Isaiah exposed how idiotic idols are in chapter 44 of Isaiah, verse 15. He describes the wood a carpenter uses to make an idol. He says this, He takes a part of it and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also, he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. He's just mocking them. And you see that same mockery here, the word that David uses for gods, Elohim, sounds like the word used for idols, Elelim, which literally means useless. So in the Hebrew, it's a wordplay. Their mighty gods are mighty useless. Or as one commentator, Alec Matir, translates it, all the gods of the nations are godlets. Godlets. Today, we have a lot of godlets, they just have different names materialism. Stuff, pleasure, sex, independence, wealth, fame. Things that people love and pursue and want to give their lives to. And God is to be feared above all of them. He is the only God. Because, verse 5, while all the gods of the people are worthless idols, the Lord made the heavens. He made the heavens. Idols claim to have power to satisfy us and help us, but they don't. They can't. The Lord can. Why? Because he made the heavens. He, He created it all. There aren't a lot of kings and kingdoms battling it out for supremacy in this world. It can feel like that at times. There's only one king, the Lord God, and he reigns above it all that's why he is to be feared above all gods now now to say that is not very politically correct to our culture's ears it sounds arrogant intolerant but it's true <laughs> and note verse 6 says splendor and majesty are before him strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. To be in God's sanctuary, to be in His presence, is to be astonished, is to be amazed, is to be in awe. And commentators talk about, is this the heavenly sanctuary or is this the earthly sanctuary? It's probably both. And for us, the earthly sanctuary is, believe it or not, what we're doing right here. We are the temple of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? It's here. I I don't know what you think of when you walk into the meeting. What's going to happen? What's going to take place? But it's here when we gather that God intends us to see more of who he is, his strength his beauty, his majesty. It's one of the reasons churches not meeting because of COVID restrictions has such, had such a detrimental effect. I'm sure you felt it. when I mean, You can't gather with the church. We see something of God's splendor and majesty and beauty when we gather in his name. And it's powerful. It's meant to affect us. So we want the nations to join in singing the Lord's praises. He's the only God. He's the only one we should fear. Above all other gods, he made the heavens. He's glorious. He's the majestic creator. So that's why David's so confident in his command. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Because he is this way. How can we keep from singing? How can we keep from inviting other people to join us? So then he moves into a second call to praise. Verses 7 through 9. He addresses the nations directly. Verse 7, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the na- peoples, ascribe to the Lord, what? Glory and strength. Those are the things we see in His sanctuary. Bring an offer. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering. Come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. He addresses the nations directly. And it's just like the threefold exhortation at the beginning of the psalm, sing, sing, sing. Now it's ascribe, ascribe, ascribe. The first call to praise emphasized singing and proclaiming. This is more direct. He's saying to the families of the peoples, hey, you're invited to come to the Lord, to to bring an offering, to come into his courts. So he's saying it's not enough just to abandon your idols. We have to worship him. Because it's the worship, did you see it? That he is due. In verse 8 Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. We can't come any way we please. We're to tremble before God. When God invites us into his presence, we're in the presence of the holy king who reigns over all. We worship him in the splendor of holiness, bringing an offering similar to what a conquered king would present to the one who conquered him. It's not flippant. It's not casual. It's not thoughtless. It's fearful. So when when we invite others... to to sing to God, to worship Him. We're not inviting them, and if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, we're not inviting you to speculate about God, to philosophize about Him, to have a discussion about Him, to view view Him as one of the many things we can build our lives around. He commands us to give Him the glory He is due. Now, for us, that means we don't come into our offer, the, the, the meetings as spectators. We come in with an offering. And Romans 12 says what that offering is. It's our lives. We come in with our minds, our hearts, our money, our affections. We say, Lord, you are due this kind of glory because you reign above all gods. We come here not to dictate to God our preferences or our complaints, but to listen and to marvel and to obey. God alone determines how we are to worship him. And one of the signs of a false or deficient God is that we make God in our own image He's just like us. His love isn't any better than ours. I always laugh when people say, well, you know, why would God do this? If I was God, I wouldn't do it that way. And I just think, I'm glad you're not God. <laughs> Whatever you're saying that, following that with, I'm just glad you're not God. God's God. We're not. He, we tend to view, think he views sin the way we do. He doesn't. He's tolerant. He, he's, he's understanding. He'll overlook that sin. He's our buddy. He's the man upstairs. He's the God who's a lot like us. Why would anybody want to sing about that God? What, what is that provoking you? Hey, let's sing about someone who's just like you and me. Really? I don't think so. So that's what David's saying. He's not like us. He's not like us. That's why... I'm telling you, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth, which leads to the second reason that David gives to praise the Lord. Verses 10 through 13. He's the majestic creator and he is the sovereign judge. God is the sovereign judge. The thrust of these last four verses is something like this. Not just the nations, but all creation will ascribe glory to the Lord because he reigns over all and he comes to perfectly judge the earth. This is why we're to ascribe glory to the Lord. The Lord reigns. but That reign isn't something new. Michael Wilcox says the Lord's enthronement is no new thing for it dates back to the beginning of time. He became king of the earth when the earth was made. What is new is the song that proclaims it to the nations that do not yet walk in Israel's light. We want to sing that new song, The the Lord Reigns, and invite everyone around us to sing it with us. We want everyone to know The Lord Reigns, because those who celebrate God's saving reign long for the day when all creation will join us in the song So we say, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. For those of us who acknowledge and ascribe glory to the Lord, his reign brings security and stability. The world is established. It shall never be moved. Do you realize that? When the Lord is king and we know it, We don't have to be anxious. He really does have everything under control. Amen. Derek Kidner says, Where God rules, His humblest creatures can be themselves. Where God is, there is singing. At the creation, the morning stars sang together. At His coming, the earth will at last join in again. Meanwhile, the Psalter itself shows what effect His presence has on those who... Even through a glass darkly, already see his face. Now someone might legitimately ask, if the Lord reigns, why is the world in such a mess? Is is this what his reign looks like? Earthquakes, wars, famine, rape, terrorism, sex trafficking, political unrest, social unrest, racial unrest, what about COVID, what about mass shootings, if the Lord reigns, he's doing a terrible job. That's what someone could think. How can you say the Lord reigns? Well, it has to do with what the psalmist means when he says, the Lord comes to judge the earth in verse 13. It has a past and a present and a future meaning. When the priests sang this song as they were returning the ark, they focused on the present. The Lord comes to judge the earth now. Doggone it. Those Jebusites are done. They're defeated. And the Lord reigns now. And he's setting things right. But the Lord comes can refer to the past as well. We can look back and see how the Lord has come again and again to judge and deliver. The Egyptians, the pagan nations in Babylon. We look back at Christ's birth And can say with great joy, the Lord comes to judge the earth. But there's a future meaning in this as well. We live in a fallen world. Sin has affected everything and defaced God's creation. And in the mystery of his will, God allows Satan to prowl around like a roaring lion. God reigns. Yes, he does. But the story's not over. Because the one who reigns above all gods is surely, wisely, and completely working out his purposes for his glory and the good of his people. How do we know this? The psalmist tells us he rules with equity. He's coming to judge with equity or justice. All his decisions are right. That knowledge causes the psalmist to turn to the heavens and the earth and the sea and the fields and the trees and say, hey, you guys got to get in on this. You've got to respond because the Lord reigns all creation. He calls all creation to sing with joy before the Lord because he reigns. And more importantly, he's coming again. And if our hearts aren't prepared for when he's coming again, that day, and I say this with all sobriety, because I don't doubt than in the crowd this size, there are some of you who do not know the God that I'm speaking of, that the Bible is speaking of. That day for you will be a day of terror. You will not be able to escape the Lord's judgment against your sins. But what David wants to point out here, what he's emphasizing is that for God's people, that judgment will mean salvation. It's the salvation that we're telling of from day to day. Robert Davidson writes, this judging does not mean simply merely condemning the world for its evil and corruption. It means saying no to all that threatens to destroy the worlds of God's creating, but yes to all that will lead it to finding its true purpose and peace. It means putting the world to right. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the psalmist is encouraging everyone within listening distance to embrace the Lord's reign now and to join the ranks of those who tell his salvation from day to day so that we might rescue as many as possible from the coming judgment. And just as the psalmist envisioned all the nations coming to worship the God of Israel. So, we as a church, Cornerstone Church, and our family of churches, sovereign grace churches, long to see the nations coming to receive the salvation that the gospel announces. That's why Cornerstone Church has sent people to Korea, Ghana, Mexico, Romania, Ukraine, India, and more to support and encourage gospel preaching churches and ministries. It's why Sovereign Grace Churches are building relationships with and seeking to serve pastors in over 30 different countries. It's why we just started the Sovereign Grace Church's missions website with news and opportunities for church planning and short term mission trips. It's hard to say. It's why Sovereign Grace Church of Louisville and Cornerstone Church have sent couples to Ethiopia to plant a church in Addis Ababa, James and Catherine Lewis. Michael and Canon Granger we send from Louisville. Those who celebrate God's saving reign, as we should and do, long for the day all creation will join in this song. We will never tire of proclaiming that there is a king. There is one king. Who reigns over all? Who has come and is coming again, so that we can be saved from God's judgment, though we deserved condemnation for our sins. We deserved the just, just penalty of eternal torment for disregarding, disobeying, rebelling against the God who had created us, Jesus himself, and this is what Christmas is about, Jesus himself descended to take on our flesh so that he could live a life of perfect obedience to God that we could never, ever live. So that he in his flesh could take the judgment for our sins upon himself. Fully. Completely. Nothing left over. Nothing he missed. Oh, I forgot about that sin. He didn't forget any of them. He paid for all the trespasses of those who trust in him. And he rose from the dead and he ascended to his father's right hand where he's interceding for us right now. And one day, he's coming back. He's coming back again. That's the God we know. That's the God we sing about. And he offers full forgiveness to everyone who trusts in his payment for their rebellion and receives his loving rule in their lives. So one last quote. William Plumer writes, let us joyfully receive the gospel and its author. Let none be reluctant or linger. Christ's work is a work of redemption from sin, from wrath, and from wretchedness. He is light and life and salvation. His reign is like a morning without clouds. Let joy seize the highest notes of exultation as it proclaims to the world the glorious mysteries revealed in the gospel. Or as Isaac Watts put it, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. Let us seize the highest notes of exultation, whatever they are for you. Let us seize them as we consider and celebrate the glorious Savior who reigns and is coming again. Because the best ones to tell the news of salvation are the ones who know how to sing about it. And they love singing about it. So let's sing loudly and joyfully and constantly the Lord reigns because our singing here is a dress rehearsal for that day. We can enjoy the goodness of the Lord's reign even as we anticipate the day when the sea will roar, the fields and everything in them will (laughs) exult, and the trees of the forest will sing for joy. And we want to be sure that no one's voices will be louder than ours. As we continue to sing, both with our lips and our lives, until that day, and by God's grace and mercy in Jesus Christ, all creation joins in the song. Father, we thank you that we have such a song to sing. We thank you that we have such a Savior to sing about. We thank you that the King has come and is coming again. And though we might never know the fullness of the grace that you have given us in Jesus, we do know that grace that has come. And we can say with glad hearts, the King comes to judge the earth with equity, with truth, with righteousness, and because of his coming and because of his sacrifice, because of his resurrection, we can face that day with joy and with anticipation, knowing that you will bring to completion that which you began. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message recorded during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.